the real estate unit that I sold for my then girlfriend years ago, it was a big old flat in Nunda, you know, in Brisbane and all pretty much new units and apartments. The rooms are small and we would probably say I couldn't even swing a cat in there, mate. So I did the reverse because hers was huge and it was really the headline in the ad and then the description, which is big enough to swing an elephant in, <laughs> which got people responding, you know. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's genius. This is James Schramko. James Schramko here. Welcome back to my podcast at jamesschramko.com. This is episode 944. This is Judgment Day. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute. Of course, I brought along my special guest, Trevor Toecracker Crook. Welcome back. Thanks, James. Good to be back. This is the fourth podcast and fourth country we've done this in. So first one was Costa Rica, second one America, third one Tuscan Italy, and actually I'm home in Panama on the Caribbean islands. So. Oh, that's great. You're well-traveled. I've just done um, seven flights in the last few weeks, so I've got out and about for the first time since COVID came. And uh, it's, I'd say the world has changed a little bit, uh, sort of the world of travel. There was a concoction of delayed flights, lost surfboards, expensive changes, et cetera, et cetera. I won't get into in too much depth. But yeah, as you mentioned, this is your fourth time here. And there's a good reason for that, Trevor, because after the first episode, I'll list the numbers. You're on episode 804, you're on episode 843. 913 and today 944. Okay, so you can go and listen to those. If you listen to this, you absolutely would be doing yourself a disservice if you didn't listen to the previous episodes. The reason Trevor's back is because, Trevor, you got two of the top 10 episodes for our 2021 year, which was quite an achievement because we actually do, you know, usually two episodes a week. We're getting close to 100 episodes a year. So for you to pull two out of the top 10 from 100 episodes is testimony to how relevant what you're talking about is to our audience. So I appreciate it. Well, I was uh, very stoked to see the first one come up on that list, let alone the second one be at number two. So number five and number two, as I said, I'm going for number one. So I know I've got my work cut out for me. Well, let's see what happens. So we've titled this episode Judgment Day. I love the concept around this. And I'd like you to explain what does Judgment Day mean? And what are we going to be talking about in today's episode? Yes. Well, Judgment Day is the title of an old event I did way back when, 2005. And basically it's this, your prospects and your clients, they get to be judged during executioner if your offer sucks or your product or service sucks. So you've got to lift your game in all facets. So, And they don't always tell you if the product sucks or the offer sucks, do they? It's like there would have to be ways where you could find out if these things are true or not, apart from them ordering or not ordering. Maybe you think there's some other reason that it's not your offer or that it's not your product. And I hear lots of excuses from people why the customer didn't buy. I had one today, actually. Someone I spoke to today missed out on a $35,000 sale. They had a prospect very close. They spoke to the prospect. The prospect was excited. The next day they spoke to the prospect. The prospect was extremely excited and said, yes, I'm going ahead. And then the prospect said, send me over the details. I'm going to pay by wire. And then the sale didn't transpire. They got ghosted. They followed up later and the prospect said, yeah, I've discovered I'm, I tend to buy too many of these things and I need some space, you know, just to decompress. And then I'll come back and revisit this in a month, which of course you and I both know is BS. That's not going to happen at all. Yeah. What do you think is going on in this situation? It sounds like judgment day happened and passed. 
Yeah, it's an interesting one because um, something has given them the wobbly boot not to proceed. And, yeah, most of the excuses people give us are absolute BS. And, you know, you can try and dig and probe and turn them around, but reality is do you really then want them as a customer? I, For me, I don't. And I don't either. This falls squarely in the no compromise camp. At a $35,000 price level for an intimate relationship with a prospect, you need honesty. And if they're not going to tell you the truth about why they're not going ahead, then that would negate them as being a valid prospect in my book. I want someone who wants to be there and I want someone who's excited about the partnership and can have a close enough relationship to go deep. I actually said to the person who told me this, did you challenge this and at least help them understand what's going on in their own process like (laughs) if they keep buying these things and then not getting the results there's some underlying issue that if it were me I would have taken that head on and said what's going on behind that even if I don't want them as a prospect and even if they later decide to come on and I don't accept it right which could happen I'm not sure but I would want to actually help them fix the underlying issue because it sounds like there's something deep down going on there yeah and they're the common denominator basically they are it's happening to them and not everyone else Yeah, it's like you want people that are committed to what you're offering, not, you know, I'm interested. You know, most people say they're interested, never buy. So you mean like pig committed versus chicken committed in terms of the the bacon (laughs) and eggs commitment factor? Oh, yeah, like you see them on on Facebook posts, I'm interested. And then when push comes to shove, you know, they're just wasting your time and finding reasons to validate why they're not going to invest. So this is like the preference versus performance phenomenon. Yeah. One of the great dangers of asking people what they want and then they tell you and then you create it and then they don't buy it because they don't really want it that much. So how do we make sure that when judgment day comes, our prospect is absolutely going to go ahead? Well, as you know, I'm a big fan of having what I call that outrageous offer, which has been around for a long time, but it can be more than just the product. The product or service needs to be great but it's how you get that prospect or existing past customer, existing customer or past customer to want to give you their credit card again. And, you know, I said on the previous podcast, you know, your offer's got to stand out like bull's balls on a chihuahua for people to go, wow, I really want that. And, you know, what was interesting was um, only last week I saw something about someone was complaining about ordering a, a pepperoni pizza in Italy and thinking this beautiful pepperoni pizza is going to come out with actual pepperoni slices, but it comes out with... going to have capsicum. With peppers, capsicum, you know. I my daughter did that twice in a row <laughs> when we went to Italy. It yeah. cracked me up every time. <laughs> I, made, I, made, I made the mistake once, right? But then imagine the reverse. You're a vegetarian Italian and you go to America and order pepperoni pizza and the opposite comes out. And whilst it's not really an outrageous offer, it sort of tickled my funny bone because people, you know, think they're offering one thing and the person thinks they're ordering slash getting something else. And that happens too much, I believe. So, you know, that one made me uh, chuckle because I made that same mistake myself. And my Italian friends said, well, that's what you ordered. And I said, Pietro, you could have corrected me. And he's like, oh, you knew what you wanted. And I was like, no, I didn't. I wanted pepperoni pizza. So So what you're talking about here is clarity around the expectation? Yes. 
Yes. And I've heard this talked about by copywriters that you really can't make an offer too clear. Like clarity is essential. I, I think this is important to me in the coaching work I do. I spend quite a lot of my effort around seeking clarity when people have problems. I want to make sure I'm solving the correct problem. And in the example we mentioned just before of the person who, was, who deferred a potential purchase, they're perhaps not clear on their own problem. And it's worth, you know, lifting the lid on that and getting to the real problem. Yes. Yeah, so that, you know, because otherwise it's, you know, denial, it's the old denial ain't just a river in Egypt. And if you don't get to the real root of the problem to give you a path to correct it, then, you know, you're just going around in circles like that one legged duck. We've already cracked a lot of expressions in the first few minutes. I pity my team who are transcribing this. I think they're going to, I'll be shocked if they don't write balls, balls on the chihuahua instead of bulls, balls. It sounds like you're mixing in an Adelaide accent there. That's a cross between being out of Australia for so long. But one of the things, and I think we mentioned this on one of the previous podcasts, that we'll take, you know, someone offering tomato on toast for eight bucks and they're going to get, you know, told all sorts of things that we won't mention on the podcast where they can stick the tomato on toast for their eight bucks. But, you know, people pay happily pay eight, 10 bucks, 12 bucks for a bruschetta, which is the same thing in effect, just chopped up and presented in a different way. Yeah. Right. And, you know, And that's where your offers need to be very distinct as well. You know, are you trying to sell your product or service to a potential prospect or client? Are you trying to sell them tomato on toast, knowing they're never going to swallow it or pay the money, when instead if you presented them bruschetta on toast and had crystal clear clarity on the outcomes that they were going to get from that, then they're going to invest and buy your product or service. I think you like Italian food at this point in the podcast. It's a clear theme. Love Italian. So presenting your product in a more appealing way with the exact same ingredients could be beneficial in terms of acceptance of the offer. The other thing that comes to mind is that environment scenario where they talk about a bottle of water that, you know, in a vending machine, it might be $2. In a hotel room, it might be $8. In the private cubicle at a exotic VIP bar club, it might be $20 for the exact same bottle of water, but it's the environment that it's in and changes the perception of how much it might be able to fetch. Exactly. I've done something similar, but on beer, because I can relate to that more, more, but like Stella or Heineken across the world, it's amazing what you can pay for the same product, depending on the environment you're around and you go to some exclusive club. And uh, actually I was at the um, 66th floor of the resorts world uh, a few months ago and a baby beer of Stella, well, I think it was 24 bucks. Wow. You know? And for our portion of our audience, a buck is a dollar, just to translate there, <laughs> some Trevorisms. <laughs> so tell me again, back to judgment day. So firstly, I've got out of this, we should make our offer clear. Secondly, I've got out of this, we should rearrange our ingredients to be more desirable if possible. And the third thing is, and I've sort of added this one in, maybe it's not part of your criteria, but is to be conscious of the environment where you're offering this thing, because it might change the perception of what someone might pay. Yes, absolutely. And so if you get all all those parts correct, then there'll be judgment and the jury's going to vote in your favor and invest in your product or service. If you don't get it right, and if the clarity is as clear as mud in a pigsty, 
then they're going to execute you and say no. So that's why I like the Judgment Day. Nothing to do with religion, but, you know, it just um, it appeals to me on that because ultimately when myself included and whilst you test and measure, when you put an offer out to the marketplace, they are judging you and they judge with their cash, credit card, wire transfer, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Well, what else can we do to improve our chances? Well, firstly, I want to I want to just touch base on, you know, the meaning of outrageous because some people go, isn't it? You're just talking about the hook. Well, let's just give you a few simple definitions. Highly unusual, unconventional, extravagant, remarkable, extreme, over the top, beyond reason, hard to believe. So for me, it's just any offer that converts well, Mm -hmm. right? If you've got an offer that converts well and consistently converts well, there must be something that's outrageous in there enough for people to keep going, yes, I want to pay the money for that. And, um, you know, after the the first couple we did, I sort of wanted to sit down and look about what I consider are there certain types of outrageous offers or where can they be positioned in your copy Mm -hmm. to fall some sort of outrageous part. So I'm happy to go through a few of those. There's about nine, but I don't know that we'll get through all nine. We might get through half of them. But if you remember on the last podcast, one of our landscaping clients had done very well with 85 lumpy mail letters. And so for those of you who don't know what lumpy mail is, it's simply putting something inside an envelope that arouses curiosity because curiosity killed a cat and the person getting it cold doesn't want to throw it out until they know what's inside the envelope, right, which increases open rates and increases leads and sales. Now, from those 85 letters back then, which is current, it's this year they've done 209,348 in gross sales, and each letter mailed is worth 2,462.91. And here's what's interesting. They just keep, oh, that looks like there could be some rich houses in that estate. They just keep dropping 20 letters, you know, doing neighborhood farming, which I love. And just recently, as in a few weeks ago, they dropped 20 somewhere and pulled, what are they pulled? Um, $90,818 from those 20 lumpy letters. Wow. Right. What was in the letter? The letter was um, a magazine that we create for them called Dream Garden Digest. So we write it and sort of white label it to them. And my letter where the outrageous offer part of it is, is to offer a free garden assessment report valued at equivalent of 357 US, the normal triggers if they call by, you know, XX date. Mm-hmm. And so it's drop lumpy mail, letter one with the magazine, two, get them to call for the garden assessment report, do garden assessment report rather than let me come and give you a quote, right, which nobody wants a quote in theory. And then from the free garden assessment report, recommend the design fee, right, Sell design fee, which they used to do for free, not anymore. They're now charged between a grand to seven grand, depending on the size of the project, and then close them. And here's what's interesting. It's just a simple four-step process that they follow. But what they've found even is their average job value is so much higher by doing that process. Stuff they were doing for free before, call it an ingredient, call it a process, giving it a different title presenting it in a different way, getting paid for it, and making a truckload more money. Nice. And, you know, so I I like stuff like that because it's still relevant today. You know, someone asked me on something I I dropped in my uh, Facebook post 
one day last week about something which happened two years ago for another lumpy male client. And they're like, oh, is that recent? And I go, it was only a couple of years ago, but I still got clients doing that continuously now, you know. So, you know, in their case, it was just follow the process. They're offering something for free and there's caveats against offering something for free versus always getting paid. But the way I offer the free part for my clients and I've done this for, you know, about 20 odd years is I'm using the outrageous offer aspect of something they're doing for free to get in front of the prospect rather than saying we do free quotes. Yeah. No job too big, too small. Right. They're still going out and looking at the person's business or the homeowners, whatever their pool or termites or whatever it is, but they're getting in front of them because they're doing something completely different to the competition. And I found, especially in the B2C, the business to consumer market, although it still works in the B2B, that's the, not easiest, but the simplest way to stand out from your competition and charge a truckload more. Instead of selling that pint of Stella for $5, you could sell it for you know $25, presenting it in a much better way, which is where I come in. Yeah, you know, like in this area where I live, if they just answered their phone or would be willing to come out to see you, they'd be ahead of their competition. <laughs> I ran. Yeah. Look, I'm, I mean, I've, I've been here for almost a year and all I want is a bookshelf behind me, right? Still. One day in the future, there'll be a bookshelf. I call up a joinery, I've called up three or four joinery companies and one of them, this is true, I call up the joinery company and this is the voicemail I get. Hey, Rick here, if you're calling for joinery, we're maxed out. Give us a call next year. That's it. <laughs> I'm like, seriously, if you wanted to make money, you could set up a trade in this region. <laughs> just like it's just so hard to get trades. But anyway, I finally, I actually had, had to hire a designer so that I could access her Rolodex of suppliers, which aren't published or listed publicly, so that I could get a proper supplier and it's coming, it's paid for, and it's being cut right now. I will have a bookshelf, but <laughs> it's taking me forever. <laughs> I do. So that's a classic case of in some environments, even a crappy marketer could do a reasonable job. If you're in a hyper-competitive market, then you'd have to do some of these things to really stand out. So it reminds me of when Ezra Firestone told me he used to play poker, but he'd make sure he'd only play with drunk people. So if you're going to play the game, like try and pick the right place to play. I also saw an article about real estate agents making multiple millions of dollars in commission, but they're selling in an area where the average home price is two or $3 million. So when you do your 2% of gross on a much more expensive home and you can still keep the volume, of course, you're going to make a lot more than someone who's selling $80,000 homes or hundred. I mean, that, that number sounds ridiculous to an Australian, but I, I believe that you can buy a house for like $100,000 in America, uh, which is yeah. a classic. Yeah, but even like the Asians that are in that sort of um, multi-million bracket, you know, I'm guessing there's still a lot of competition there. There'll be plenty of competition in those areas. And they can still use something I created for an agent years ago in that manly sort of area where she struggled to get the quality leads, but if she got the leads, she could convert very high. So the copy was designed to sell the appointment to get her in front of the prospect. And she, you know, put her money where her mouth is. If they didn't like what she said, she'd pay them cash out of her own pocket, which really wasn't an issue because she just, she would close at 90% as long as she got in front of them. Gotcha. 
So even in, the, in those markets, this stuff works even more powerfully. But the trade thing is, I think any trades or most trades are just, yeah, the first tradesman that comes in and decides to answer the phone, do some basic basic stuff, hire an answering service. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the simplest one. Okay, even got time. But we had a, a guy last week is like, I don't answer my phone. I'm scared to answer it. And I'm like, well, get an answering service. Get them to weed out the quality prospects and the ones that aren't good. You just don't, you know, you don't return the call or tell them thanks, but no thanks. But you're missing out on good prospects and big projects because you're not even answering your phone. Yep. You're afraid to answer it. And a lot of the lead generation agencies that I talk to, they say the biggest gripe is that they get good leads for the client and the client won't ring them back. They won't ring them back within a day or a few days, sometimes even a week, and then they say the leads are no good. I'm like, that's crazy. So tell me about the nine outrageous things. What was the first one? Well, the first one is something we sort of covered a little bit before on giveaways, yep. and we've covered it in previous episodes, but... Again, with all these, you've got to know your numbers. So even like take the real estate I was just talking about before, where she knew that she got in front of the right home seller, she could close them and she's selling multi-million dollar homes as she knows her commission. So the whole angle around that was, you know, it was a two-page letter, which is typically what I do as letter one, listing all the, the things that she's going to do for them, which are generally, you know, the things a lot of other agents don't do, like communication and all that sort of stuff. And just guaranteeing the appointment, like, I'm going to give you money if you think I'm full of crap. Here's my results. Does that interest you? Okay, I'm going to call you because no other agent was doing that, right? That's one example. When I've done this for a couple of uh, the same industries, the same letter basically changed the names and the contact details, but mailing to their existing database, which they'd ignored forever and a day since they first purchased, you know, normal stuff, normal things that happen in business, right? At the same time, wasting money on, well, say wasting, they'll break an even on a Yellow Pages advert, hemorrhaging cash on a front page newspaper advert, right? Yet ignoring the people that had given the money. So this is what we're going to do. We sent out a letter explaining why the $50 voucher was on the front and there was no strings attached. All they had to do was bring in the little letter to the business and take anything to the value of $50 retail and walk out the store and no one's going to bug them. You know, that went crazy. They had 167 people respond from almost 1,800 letters on that. Wow. And not one person took the freebie. Sorry, just the freebie. They all spent money, right? It's, it's like me yesterday. I just got back from a surf trip and on the surf trip, one of my leg ropes detached while I was surfing, uh, I basically got rolled by a pretty big wave. The Velcro undid and I lost my board and it's heading into the sharp reef and I have to go after it. It's like, I want my board, but I really don't want to run aground on Razor Sharp Reef. So I, I paddled to the board. I got it after two goes and grabbed it. So anyway, I chucked that leash. Unfortunately, they can't be upcycled yet. So I went in to buy a new leash but the checkout lady left a little electronic beeper tag on it. So I got home to open it up to put it into my surf bag for the next trip. And it's got this thing. And I'm like, ah, oh, what a hassle. So at that point, do I pull out the pliers and just destroy it? Or do I just take it back with the receipt to the shop and ask them to take it off? So I did the right thing. And I, so I'll take it back to the shop. When I went back to the shop, now it was the shop owner there. 
And as I came into the store, it beeped, which it didn't do when I left. And he goes, oh, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. And he looked at me and he made a joke with it. And he goes, uh, and I said, hey, listen, I, I've got this, um, got a little special bonus tag when I purchased this yesterday. He goes, oh, bloody amateurs. Oh, we'll, we'll fix that. He goes, you got the optional shark detector, did you? You don't want it? Okay, well, we'll take it off. And he took it off. And I thought, you know, while I'm here, I think I'll, I'll buy another leash as well. I spent another $120. I bought two more leashes just going back to get the tag off the first one I bought. So if a retailer does a good job of having a visit from anyone for whatever circumstance, they can make more sales. Absolutely. And um, what's interesting about that is, you know, people just want to be made to feel important. Yes, well, I didn't want to feel embarrassed that I'm walking through the door with a detector bouncing. Like my main thought is, are they going to think that I'm a shoplifter and that I took it yesterday and now I'm kind of trying to do some scam where I get the tag taken off, right? So that was my main thought when I arrived there. I parked right in front of the store so they could see my car. I'm not hiding anything. And you know, it was a relief for me when he wasn't trying to accuse me of being a scammer instead he was being you know apologetic and making light out of this funny situation that his team member obviously has made a mistake his employee but it was all handled really well and and then at the end he goes if you need anything else for your next trip just come back we've got plenty of stuff here he was good i've often found that with the shop owner is often like 10 times better than the trainee type staff that they hire to manage a shop when they're not there it's a it's a very common trait yeah, which can cost them a lot of a fortune, a lot of business. Yeah, I have the potential to buy a two thousand dollars surfboard, like at the drop of a hat, like <laughs> as it turns out. Apparently, <laughs> you know, so handled well, I could buy plenty of stuff from a store like that, especially over the lifetime of my purchases. If I'm surfing for the next forty years, I'm a high value customer for a retail store like that. So. It's um, the way you handle it. A good business would create systems to train all their team members with the things that make a difference. Yeah, and get you on their database. And I mean, imagine it's three years. Yeah, they don't have me on their database. Imagine if they told me when the new type of leg rope came out or they have a shipment of this special wax or they picked up a new manufacturer for supply of surfboards or whatever. Like, can you imagine what would happen? I did a whole sales presentation around the demise of a surf store that I originally purchased from that actually went out of business because he refused to email his database of people who had already bought a surfboard of $1,000 or more from him. He would never email them once. That's insanity. I mean, imagine like that surf store that where you've had the experience yesterday and it's two or three years time down the track and you've already spent, I don't know, the average spend a couple of grand a year and they look at people like you on the A-list and they send you a letter, direct mail letter, could be an email, with a voucher to spend, I don't know, 100 bucks or whatever with no strings attached. Yep. I would definitely stop by there. And they might say, well, you know, you can't get a lot for 100 but you take it in because all you have to do and you're going to spend more. That's an outrageous offer. Most people don't have the balls to test it. Yeah, I would definitely go there and I would... But, you know, out of sympathy for the company and, and of reciprocity, I would definitely buy something other than the gift for sure. You know, that's how it works. Yeah. And that's the psychological part of that. And when you explain why you're doing it, you know, it's, um, and I'll, hopefully I'll get to this at the end, but I was scanning through some, like, what have I done that I haven't brought up on one of your podcasts? And I did a complete direct mail sequence for an automotive repair company in Tasmania many years ago. 
And even that, I one of the offers was, you know, here's a here's the voucher for fifty bucks. Fifty dollars. You won't get a lot here here for fifty dollars, but give us a call and we can give you an idea. And you know, this was a lead generation advert with a six page free report to sell automotive services. And a lot of the things in and even in that in the copy were things that he was either doing or we spoke about and got him to implement that were completely different to the competition. So in effect, a lot of the 14 compelling reasons, most of them were sort of outrageous enough by themselves. And, uh, you know, he had three locations back then, and we recently uh, touched base again. I think he's got eight now. This is in Tasmania, right? And I looked at his website, and interestingly enough, he's still using a lot of that copy. He's just put it into the website. Yeah, some of this stuff will work forever. Yeah, it's evergreen. You know, perceived value, and um, again, you know, what can you offer that has a known retail perceived value in the marketplace? It costs you a fraction to get your hands on it. You know, those things work very, very well. Well, I noticed uh, one my favorite local surf shaper has just added something to their website. I saw it yesterday, and I thought, good on them because it's rare in this industry. These guys are they're like a father and son team. They're called Campbell Designed and I've had a couple of boards from them. They're really, really progressive but experienced. The father's like toe cracker, just like an industry veteran with experience and then the son is like a former pro. They've added this new service called Tailored. Like a tailored suit, they basically personalize the complementary board fitting service so that you're riding the right equipment. It's basically a 30-minute appointment with either of them, like the main, the butcher, not the block. Yeah. You go to their showroom or you can do it on FaceTime or whatever. You'll be guided through their range of boards based on what your needs are. And then they will basically customize it for your size, your you know length, shape, colors, everything. And then they'll manufacture it on site. Everything's made right there on site, which in this industry is a big deal because a lot of stuff's just made in Thailand now and shipped across, like shaped by a, a machine and someone finishes it who's never even surfed once in their life. So that's a great way to take something that, you know, all custom shapers already will take a custom order, but usually they just flick over a form that you fill out with all your dimensions and hopefully you know what you're ordering and they might query something if they're not sure, but generally they'll just make whatever you order. This is a way to make sure that you're getting the right equipment because the right equipment will make a big difference to the way that you surf. So I I applaud them for this kind of offer, but it's literally taking something that most people will do, but really putting aside that time and making a feature product out of it. And then they've put it straight into the top of their marketing because I saw it yesterday on Instagram, which is their prime channel. Yeah, and that's fantastic. I'm sure they'll do extremely well from that. Well, they will now that I mentioned it, <laughs> but, but I, the, the, <laughs> yeah. the last board that I ordered from them is exactly the process I went through. That's exactly what I did. I, went, I said, hey, you guys there today? I went down to the showroom and I said, this is my perfect board that I need. He listens and takes notes and then gives me ideas. And then we basically, that's it. And it's being built just for me, custom. And it doesn't actually cost any more to order the right board versus taking one off the rack. In this industry, that's the thing that's crazy. It costs exactly the same to custom order a board versus taking one off the rack. Yeah. But they don't ever tell you that. That's an opportunity there. Yeah. So Hmm. what's next on your list? 
So we've got the giveaways and reframing things and coming up with differentiation. Yeah, we've and we've we've covered sort of lottery style before, you know, mm-hmm. win free X for a year. Do they always give the prize or do they just insure against the prize? Because I've heard this sort of mentioned two different ways. Well, I can only tell you from my own clients that if they say it's win free X for a year, whoever wins gets it. Yeah. Well, I've always done that. If, if I've ever had a competition, I've always given the prize. But I've heard of another marketer who they have this, it's an outrageously big prize, but they just insure against having to pay out the prize, but they don't always give it. Yeah. Not something I would do or ever recommend. Yeah, I don't think so either. If you're going to offer it, you know, but here's the thing. It's the really, I can't think of a product or service, although there probably is one, where you couldn't offer that type of scenario if you just really put some time into thinking how you go about it, whether it's a a limited, whether it's three months, six months, a year. It's like I used to, um, at the Mercedes-Benz dealership, they had no email database. And I built a 10,000-person email database from our local community with a small flyer, and it was a guessing competition. And it was basically, it it was like fill in the missing letters. And it was like... Mercedes B space NZ, right? And it was win a weekend in a Mercedes Benz. That was the prize. And people would, and we would draw it once every three months or something. Can't remember. I'm not sure about that part, but we draw it fairly often. And I would actually video the draw and we put it in our newsletter. And whoever won it, they could come and pick up the keys on a Friday afternoon for a Mercedes Benz out of our demonstrator fleet and then bring it back on Monday. So it was legit what they were winning. For that person, it was great. They're getting a $150,000 car for the weekend. They can go and visit the Hunter Valley or the wine region or, or go and barbecue with their friends and impress them or just drive around with the roof off a convertible. For us, it was no skin off our nose. Like we had 50 cars, which like just missing a car for a weekend. So it was easy to create something of high value to the customer or the prospect, very low cost to us. But we were able to build the, and we had the tick box on there at the time, it was like they could opt out of receiving further email communications. But these days, it might be you have to tick to say, I want to receive them. But, you know, this was pre-privacy concerns. But I built a 10,000-person email database using that one form. And maybe we had to loan a car out 10 times over a couple of years. Not a big deal. Yeah. And I bet you sold cars as well. We did. When I, I actually did a product launch formula for the dealership. And we used a multi-channel approach, direct response letters. On the bottom, it's like, PS, bring this letter in. And on any purchase of a vehicle over this sale, you'll get a case of red wine put into the boot of your car on delivery. And I think we sold 24. We got 24 letters back. Nice. So it cost me 24 times case of red wine to sell 24 cars at an average purchase price of $85,000 each. We sold a lot of cars over the three days. I did an email, we did direct response, we did the local front page, we did local community awareness, like we got a write-up for free editorial, we got a radio announcement. It was great. We collected 1,000 people through the showroom over three days. We beat all of the other people in the state. We sold more than all of them put together in that weekend. Wow. And here's the thing. I did it using every resource that was already available to every other dealer. This was my theme. It was an AMG experience weekend. So I asked the manufacturer, I want you to send me one of every AMG that you can get your hands on. I had to borrow and trade from other dealers. 
but I had a C and E and S and SL, CL. You could normally never drive an AMG. They won't let you drive it or they're hard to get. You had to book it in advance. But I just got a truck sent with all of them. And so for the first time ever, someone could just come and just pick an AMG. They wanted to try and drive it, like demo an AMG. But anyone could have asked for this at any time. But I just made that the theme. And it was uh, the best thing, of course, AMG draws out the high net worth individuals. And the AMG drivers, they change cars way quicker than a regular Mercedes-Benz driver. Regular Mercedes-Benz changes hands like every 38, 42 months. AMG drivers, they change cars every 22 months. So it was just a huge. It was like product launch formula on steroids in a regular business, non-internet business. It was one of the last things I did before I quit my job. I love that, especially the fact where you hit the nail on the head. That was available to anybody else to do the same. Yes. Yet they either didn't think about it, thought about it, thought, no, it's never going to happen. It's never going to work. But you just go, you know what, I'm going to do this and there's a result. And I find that a lot, you know, when you spoke before about um, was it the the business that really not went out went out of business, the same thing happened for the shoe store I bought my original toe crackers in, you know, and those things not cheap, you know, very distinct client, right? And so I bought my first couple of pairs, and this was two thousand nine, and uh, Vancouver was, you know gearing up for the 2010 Winter Olympics. And I took a lady friend with me after seeing my shoes and she bought, I don't know, four or five pairs for her boyfriend, bought a pair for his mate, bought me a pair of shoes for going with her. So, you know, they had seven pairs to swallow it up like that. And then I spoke to the owners and suggested, you know, hey, you need to put me on your email list, get me on your database, all the stuff that we know. And they had really freaking outrageous shoes in there for men and women and do, you know, the good old customer appreciation night when you get a new range in, invite people like me along, put on some wine and cheese. You know, to me, that's an outrageous offer because most people won't freaking do it. Yep. But when you do it, guess what happens? People buy. People go, yeah, I want that. I order the shoes. And the sad part is that that the sad part because the business owners, well, they're just idiots, Right went out of business blaming the construction and the lead up to the Winter Olympics as the reason they went out of business. Mm. No, except it's your fault, except the responsibility that you didn't listen to proven marketing advice because had you done so, you'd still be in business and I would still be buying from you. As it was, I found out who they got them from. Well, so you went direct integration. Took me a while. I mean, I bought a surfboard every month for a while from this store and I begged him, please send an email, like, please. In the end, he blamed the landlord for increasing the rent. That was the big devil. And I convinced him at the end. Like when he's like, it's done, I'm going and I've got this shop full of stock. I'm basically going down the gurgler. I'm like, at least sell all the stock. So he said, okay, I'm ready. Whatever you think, you know, do it. I went into his Shopify account. I exported the list of everyone who bought a surfboard from him. I imported it to Facebook. I created a custom audience. We ran ads to those people. We sent an email from his email system. It was MailChimp. It was like, come in, say goodbye, have a coffee, put a board under your arm, like never to be repeated, like absolute end of stock. We need to be out by this date. 
I went around the store and I put post-it notes on every board. I had two colours. I had a colour for new and a colour for used. And I did what I did in the card list. I had a was is. Mm-hmm. Was 2,700, is 1,800. And uh, we sold just about every board in two days. Yep. And he just looked at me and he said, oh, my God, I wish I'd asked you to do this before. I'm like, so, did I. so do I, mate. So do I. It's like such a shame. And I got one of the last boards out of that shop. You know, it was like, it was so sad because he, he was such a nice guy and such an incredible, you know, social person, but he didn't ever want to sell. But he didn't connect selling with helping people. So I think a lot of people aren't doing their offers because they're like your friend who didn't want to answer the phone. They're worried that they're out of their comfort zone or they're maybe not doing something that's, uh, you know, maybe they're annoying the customer or whatever by making these offers, but they're really not helping anyone if they're not helping themselves first to stay, to actually be in business. If you're not in business, you're not helping anybody. Yeah. And you don't want to be a slave to your business. And, you know, it's people generally don't go from, and this was an interesting thing that, you know, Kevin Nations is really, really big on. And, and I, I love it is people don't go from being interested to the desire, having the outcome, you know, you can't do both. Interested people generally don't buy, right? People with a desire to get the outcome and the solution are ready to invest. And that decisions to invest the money with somebody is generally made quite some time before they make that contact. So if someone who seriously wants the outcome, who is committed, then you're ripping them off if you're not doing everything you can to give them that solution. And, you know, otherwise there's no point being in business. And um, I love the challenge of working with somebody on creating their offers because it's just – Generally, it's a way they've never thought of presenting their product or service. And, you know, it scares a lot of them. What Kevin Nations does particularly well is he's got some serious mental jujitsu going on with the prospect. He's a, a brilliant salesperson and marketer. His entire micro business, highly profitable, good revenues, tiny team businesses run off Facebook by the look of it, organic using mental jujitsu, like basically <laughs> weeding people out and pitting them against themselves. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you say you're interested, but you don't really want it. And he thinks that, you know, a goals list or a vision board is just a list of all the things that you haven't yet acknowledged that you're never going to have. Like he really gets people. <laughs> he's brutal. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a genius at that stuff. Uh, you know, he'd be a great guest actually on this show one day. Like, but he sells a lot by fixing people's head work. I've learnt a lot from observing his approach and it fascinates me. But I'd say the biggest obstacle for getting that customer to buy on judgment day is the mental work that it takes for you to be able to just do the things that it needs to take. Yeah. What else is on your list? We've talked about giveaways, we've talked about lotteries and a few other sundries. There's a lot there. I mean, obviously you can be in your copy, right? Let's take someone selling real estate. If there's something really specific about that piece of property that is just, you can describe it so vividly, you know, in the headline and the description, that in itself can be the outrageous part. Mm -hmm. You know, every, well, not every, probably 99.99% of agents all say, you know, the house is four bedroom, three bathroom, double garage, right? This location. Oh, there's a whole real estate talk. 
I can detect a real estate agent at a coffee shop, the way they talk. Yeah. It's like they go to real estate finishing school to learn to speak a certain way with the exact same retread words. Yeah. And it's like, so uh, are you looking to buy now or are you just doing your research? <laughs> That's the first thing that comes out of their mouth. It's like, I'm just going to qualify you before I even shake your hand or mention your name. It's like, and I'm sure there's some great real estate agents out there as, you know, I'm speaking as someone who was from the motor industry. So there are standouts, but yeah, breaking the paradigm is great. When I list my surfboards in the classifieds, there's always a hook or a line that I put that the prospect repeats back to me when they're picking it up, walking out of my house after paying me. Yeah. That that little mind worm or that hook that I've gone the extra mile with. Like one that stands out is this, um, I sold a Channel Islands fish beard and I wrote on the, on the ad that the reason for selling, I always put a reason for selling because they're going to ask me anyway. Like this board is just way too high performance for me. I can't surf as fast as this board can ride. <laughs> and you know, so I got some young tradie came in his ute and he, he couldn't wait to grab it because he wanted the fastest high performance board that he could get his mitts on because <laughs> that's what they want at that age. You know, like a 19-year-old male tradie, he wants to be the fastest guy out there on the, on the ocean. <laughs> so, yeah, I put in that little mind worm that they can run that's – Outside the norm. And in effect, you know, that's the hook, but that's really the outrageous part of it, right? It just made it stand out to buy. And that's really what it is. And It personified this thing almost. Yeah. I mean, the real estate unit that I sold for my then girlfriend years ago, it was a big old flat in Nunda, you know, in Brisbane. And all pretty much new units and apartments, the rooms are small. And we would probably say, I couldn't even swing a cat in there, mate. So I did the reverse because hers was huge and it was really the headline in the ad and then the description, which is big enough to swing an elephant in, (laughs) which got people responding, you know. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's genius. 11 inspections on day one and four people fighting over contract. It sold when the previous 12 months I didn't have a bite with a previous agent, you know, and that's really where this holy stuff comes in. You know, it's just like, well, to me, that's obvious. Mm-hmm. You know, just get the description right. Well, it's the one thing it's better at than all the others. Yeah. And really, if you look at your own product or service that you're offering, you know, where is your one thing that you can make it stand out from the crowd like you did with your surfboard yep. that people go, that's what I want. Yeah. And so, you know, I've come up with outrageous offers and guarantees, which I love to be able to create an outrageous offer around the guarantee because that's going to come down to knowing the numbers in your business, your sales, you know, your loyalty rates, your satisfaction rates, all that sort of stuff. And knowing that if you can really tie in the offer with the guarantee, you can convert a lot more. Yeah, it's true. And I've done that many, many, many times, you know. And often it's sitting right in front of you. I also found a good universal reason why I'm selling my surfboard that others can't use that I could have used the whole time. And that is like, I've surfed this board 10 times. I bought it to review for my surf website and it's now time to change it for a different model. People love that because I'm not selling it because there's anything wrong with it. Yep. It's hardly been used and it's a completely legitimate reason. And they're going to ask me, what's the surf site? They can look it up and it's actually reviewed with all its positives and attributes. And as a buyer, they can feel pretty a high level of trust that that's a legitimate 
sale because they can verify it themselves. But most other sellers can't offer that reason. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, and they'd probably just, even if they could, they'd probably just list surfboard for sale. You should, like, it's hilarious. See, most people surf their board, like, every day. They thrash it. And by the time they're selling it, the surface of the board looks like the moon, right? It's like craters. And they're like, <laughs> the craters. not surfed much or surfed twice or something. Like, you've got to be kidding me. So when someone said, when they buy my surfboards, they're like the best surfboard you could ever buy in your life. They're unscathed. They've hardly been used. They're in perfect condition. And they're always the best on the market. You could go and find five. You'll never find one like mine. So I often say to them this one line that a guy from the pre-owned department taught me many years ago. Pre-owned is a nice way of saying used cars. And I just say this. Like an ex-wife. Yeah, I might say, Trevor, where else can you find another example like this? Yeah. Whenever they're trying to do a discount or ask for a deal or whatever, I'm like, what are you comparing this to? Like, where could you find another example like this? There would be not another one of these in the whole country, anywhere in the world that's been surfed six times or 10 times that is immaculate. It is as new. I mean, if you could show me one that I could compare to and convince me why it's not worth what I'm asking, by all means, but I'll just wait. (laughs) <laughs> they're like no no i'll take it i'll take i want it always <laughs> <right>. so <laughs> yeah and i always price them fairly to start with yeah so what you're telling me your surfboards haven't been out in a hail hailstorm basically my surfboards are like they're stored in the garage in the dark with padding they are cared for like they go in a bag when i take them in the car because i have a few i don't surf them that often and when I'm ready to change them, yeah, whoever buys them gets about. I actually have a database of people who have bought my boards because they say, tell me when you've got another one. And now I just have to ping my database and my board will sell instantly. <laughs> yeah, you're, you are smart. How many people would do that? Not many. And now people say, oh, I've, I've seen this board on your site. And they, they actually say, I love your site. And I don't even tell them I've got a site. <laughs> so it's all tied in. It's been this perfect gravitational force of you know, just little marketing switches. So just to sort of recapture that, I don't want to talk too much about surfing, but I take some of the things I've learned in regular business and I just incorporate them into the real world, like writing a classifieds ad. And boy, did I love selling all my house before I moved state. I sold almost everything I could. I was like, our platform here is called Gumtree, but I, I'm like a gun tree. Like I just fire off stuff. <laughs> I sell it instantly. I, I enjoy the process. It's reliving old memories, good memories. Actually, one of my, uh, one of my old clients that I was mentoring on copywriting years ago, but he was making six figures selling mattresses literally out of his garage on Gumtree yeah. for cash. You could do it. <laughs> you know, outrageous offers, applying the copy techniques, all the normal call to actions and stuff, and he was making six figures cash, you know, just doing that. One of my kids was going around picking up all the free stuff on Gumtree and then selling it. Smart. Yeah, he worked it out. He worked out <laughs> his time. It. He worked out his fuel cost. He told me his effective hourly rate. I, I was proud of him for, for, um, <laughs> for that. But it's totally... Uh, it's actually cheaper for people to list something for free than to take it to the tip and dispose of it. So he just goes around and collects it all and then he just reconditions and relists it, take better pictures, write better copy, and then has people come and pay for it. So I reckon it's a good place to hang up, but I want to ask you if you'll come back for another episode. Yeah, look, I'd uh, love to come back for another episode because there's just, yeah, there's so much, so much to go. But There's so much. So we've talked about giveaways, lotteries, sales copy, and a number of yeah. probably unscheduled items, but 
If we were to strain it down, judgment day, it's about doing as much as you possibly can so that when your prospect meets your offer, they're not going to come up with excuses or reasons why they can't buy. They are going to be decisive. They're going to want it. You've done everything in your power to make it more appealing, more attractive and easier for them to say yes. And often the things are sitting straight under your nose. My wish for this episode would be that someone has had a a toe cracker aha moment and thought, oh, you know what? I could apply this thing that James or Trevor's talked about to my offer. I maybe have everything I need right in front of me. I just need to rearrange that tomato into a bruschetta. I need to think about what is the one thing that my competitors don't have that I have, you know, the swing the elephant. There's some great moments in this episode that I think will be practical and I do hope it ranks well for you, Trevor. Thanks, James. Love being on your show. I'll just wrap it up with one thing. Yes. For most people, their outrageous offer is already in their process. They just take it for granted. And I love being able to create outrageous offers for clients. Take this on board where you are taking known information that your competition knows that your clients don't know and flipping that into your outrageous offer. Because as you said, it's right under your nose. You just can't see it. I like, well, that's like the custom shaper. All the custom shapers know that they'll happily sit down with the prospect and configure their perfect board, but the prospects are used to just buying off the rack. They don't know that they do this. Yeah, and they could charge for that as well, but obviously they're not, but they should. They absolutely could, and there is a guy who does. He'll basically, you can order whatever you want from him and he'll charge you, but what he'll give you is the computer file so that you can then give that to any shaper and they'll, uh, any production place and they'll print out that board for you and glass it and make it. Nice. Yeah, that's kind of the, the you know, I could take that file to Thailand and get a thousand boards made in that shape. So if, that's a sort of an advanced down the track thing. And he actually did that and then sold the whole company. So there are small little success stories, but these are people that have the same access to the IP that everyone has, but they've just used it cleverly. Now, of course, Toe Tracker, it's uh, very important for us to know <laughs> how do we get in touch with you? What, do, what have you got going on? Of, of course, you've really earned some uh, love here from our audience. Uh, appreciate that. Well, obviously, um, you can find me on Facebook, you know, Toe Cracker, facebook.com forward slash Toe Cracker. I've got my uh, group, Beers, Bourbon and Business, and uh, my website is smofo.com, S-M-O-F-O.com. And I'm actually um, about to, probably in the next month or so, I'm actually going to do a six-week training on Judgment Day. Nice. So I'll let you know about that in case, you know, you're interested in, in that. Let me know about it. We'll send out an email about it. Yeah. And um, be six weeks, no time limit, but I'm going to go through a lot of this stuff in more detail. And the whole, whole idea is everyone, by the time that six weeks is up, has got their own outrageous offer ready to you know you say own the race race course racetrack i love own the casino but it's the same thing you know i get that license to print money with that offer that just keeps working and working and working what a great deal all right well i'm excited about the future for all of us this is episode 944 <laughs> i've been speaking with trevor toe cracker crook it's quite a mouthful we've watched the sun go down where he's in his part of the world I always appreciate the stories. I enjoy these episodes, obviously, because we get to trade some fun stories of things that have happened in the past. And if we perpetuate the good ones into our future, then our future is looking good. Have a good one. Thanks, James. Love being on. Cheers, buddy. This is James Schramko. 